0: Our previous transmission mode was too primitive to be received. I am now programming our computer to transmit lingua code at their frequency and rate of speed.
1: Space. The final frontier.
0: These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Eyes. What happened? The occipital area of my head seems to have impacted with the arm of the chair.
1: I uh, found this on um, uh, Ganaroom,
0: uh, uh, near. What is it? Well, it's um, it's green. Mr. Spock has orders to kill you, Captain. He will succeed. Apparently. Not a magician, Spock. Just an old
2: country doctor. Of course, Doctor. The Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. A very nice
0: place. I'm Captain Kirk. I'm <laughs> Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. To boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs>
1: Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn, a podcast about all things John Byrne. My name is Brian Hughes, and here with me this evening, that for those who are listening at night, uh, is Tim Elliott, my good friend. Hey, Tim.
2: Hello. How are you, Brian?
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We're getting so close to Christmas, I can smell it. and Actually, I can smell it because the wife has been lighting all sorts of cinnamon and apple-scented candles uh. and... Baking all sorts of good stuff that um, she's giving away to everybody and it's really frustrating. But again, my diabetes (laughs) wouldn't, couldn't handle it all. So uh,
2: get ready for some cookies. That's right. You can't handle the sugar. (laughs) That's right. What about you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Christmas is kind of beating us up this year because my work has just been, it's just now kind of starting to slow down uh, where, you know, for the industry we're in uh, because it gears up towards January and February. For the trade show stuff, but just between that and kind of last minute Christmas stuff that's been killing us, just that's why we haven't had a chance to record much. But other than that, I'm okay. I mean, uh, uh, no, uh, we, you know, we had a, we had to replace a car recently because my wife was, uh, rear ended up in Oklahoma and we had to, uh, they totaled it because it was enough damage. So we had to buy a new car and,
1: no, now she, Hasn't had that one too long, has she? It was a two thousand eight, two thousand eight. Okay, well, I guess it's it's I, I guess it's time.
2: Yeah, I mean they Uh, they they gave us more than we thought was it was worth, so that we were able to you know she bought another used car, but it's it's a it's a new quote. You can't see my air quotes. Quote new used car. Yeah, Uh, new to you. Yeah, and it's it's a it's it's a nicer vehicle than she had, and she likes it. You know, it's uh, very dog friendly, and that's what counts. Because I
1: don't know what it is that's going on right now. Um. You know, a couple months ago, uh, Beth and I decided to go ahead and get a newer vehicle. You know, we've been driving – I'm telling everybody this, so let's pull back the curtain a little bit on Brian's life, too. Um, We've been driving cash cars for the last couple of years. You know, I'm working from home, so we haven't really needed, uh, you know, a a new vehicle to get around with or anything.
2: Now, is that Um, the car where you invite people inside and you ask them questions and you give them cash?
1: No, no, that's just when you that's pay out of ca- pocket. Or is that for cash it. cab? Yeah, that, no, that's a cash car. That's PD cash, as we called the last last one we had. But um, you know, of course, when you buy a car that's you know inexpensive, you're going to run into you know the technical yeah. issues okay. you always run into. Oh yeah, and so we went to CarMax and and bought us a 2015 Chevy Sonic. Ooh, is, that the, is
2: that the all electric car?
1: No, no, no. I mean, we looked at an electric car, but you know, just. We we drive, there are times when we want to go out of town, and I mean, you just can't yet drive the electric cars the long distances and you know, be sure that you're going to be able to charge up somewhere. And so, it's you know, that we we sit there and thought about a little bit and then just said, No, that's not going to be the the thing to go. Now, most of the cars, it seems that our electric cars are getting names like the Volt, yeah, or, or something like that. And so, I thought that was interesting. We saw a number of those at the lots. And the older electric cars are, are, are showing up at the lots a lot more.
2: Hmm, interesting.
1: And, yeah, and and they're in a very, you know, economical price range too. So, you know, we did take a long look at that before we went with the Sonic. But my wife's got a thing for cars that look like
2: shoes. Is, and, like a little, is it a sporty little SUV or what, what's it classified as?
1: No, it's a coupe. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a sorry, a sedan. But, I mean, you know, it's – I. I I would say that it is the uh, Nissan Sentra of today, for sure. Oh, okay.
2: I get you. That, it, that gives me it, an it, idea of what it looks like.
1: Yeah, I mean, but it looks like a shoe, and, and you know, it's, it's been a very nice car, pretty peppy, and, you know, it's got all the, the internal stuff, you know, the, the computer and Bluetooth and, you know, everything on there um, that you could want, um, and... It, it's driven very well, and, and you know, our in-laws, of course, saw that we bought a car, so they had to go buy a car. <laughs> and they bought um, a uh, Nissan something. I don't remember what it was, but not even a week after they bought it, they got rear-ended really bad. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, man, I'm so glad that's not us. Well, guess what? Last Friday, Beth uh, Beth and I were – and Chris were coming back from seeing Star Wars uh, – Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And uh, – we took a hit and uh, it was actually two hits because the first car and we were sitting at a stoplight
0: uh, and after, was.
1: we're in a long line of cars over there off of East Chase and Meadowbrook. And, um, we just gotten out of the movie. So I'm sitting at a stoplight and all of a sudden we get hit hard. And so I jam on the brakes so I don't hit the car in front of me. And then we got hit a second time as the car behind the car that hit us hit that car. And knocked it into us, and it pushed us forward a foot. Wow. Um, So, you know, Beth had just had surgery, so she's pretty tender, and that just made it worse. Christopher banged his head up, and uh, fortunately, nobody was hurt bad enough that we we didn't have to go to the hospital or anything. That's good. But just, you know, uh, it, it was Beth's birthday, too. so
2: That makes it worse.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, we didn't get to go out to Margie's that we wanted to do, so I've got to you know, try and do that sometime up here in the future because there's nothing worse than having a birthday right next to Christmas because no matter what you do, there are going to be people that are going to give you the birthday slash Christmas gift. Right, yep. And so I have to work very hard every year to separate the two. Okay, this is all birthday celebration. Okay, now here we go Christmas, you know. And so it's it's a struggle every year. And then to have something like that happen, it's just, ah. Uh. But, I mean, so to hear, you know, Fanula, I remember I remember when uh, Fanula had her accident because he told me about that. Yeah. i just like, everybody's getting rear-ended. And, again, <laughs> 2016 apparently is the year of getting rear-ended. Yeah. I mean, it's the year of everything bad that could happen has happened. Well, not well, everything. i no. pretty
2: close. <laughs> well, the year's almost over, so. But speaking of, uh, we'll segue right into because without giving too much away because I haven't seen it yet. Uh, talk a little about Rogue One. I know you've seen it with the family. Yeah, uh, you seem to have positive a positive reaction to it. Seems to be
0: uh, well, I,
1: you know. Let me let me say this. Let me say this. Um, I like Rogue One more than I like Gareth Edwards Godzilla. Now Gareth Edwards directed both those movies. True. But they do both have something in common for me, and that is, there's a point in the movie where I nodded off. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I, you know, the thing is, is that it'd been a busy week. I had been running like crazy. I was tired, and we were in one of those theaters that has the super Barker lounger chairs. That, uh, you know, oh, those like, are those are
2: dangerous. You go right off. You fall sleep in those.
1: And since I wasn't drinking any soda because I had one early in the day, I had couldn't put any caffeine in me i was tired but you know it's like once i realized that i was on the nods i sat there and i sat up and sat at the edge of my chair and just you know concentrated and of course the the second half of the movie is such a great roller coaster ride um but it's a roller coaster that has like maybe broken wheels or part of the the couple of the things are are missing so you're just not sure if it's going to make it to the end and you're just like, oh god, oh god, oh god! You know, <laughs> it was, uh, it was that kind of, of ride that just kept you going. Um, well, I'm I'm, ex-
2: ex- I'm excited to see it. Maybe I'll try to see it. Uh, I've got Thursday off, so maybe I'll go try to see it then. But uh, for the most part, it seems to be getting generally good reviews. Maybe not quite as high as um, Force Awakens, but
1: I, I think in ways superior to Force Awakens. I I, I think that. The only difference between, uh, well, not the only, not the only difference, but the main difference between the Force Awakens and this movie is that the characters in the Force Awakens are a little bit more compelling. They're characters that you want to know more of what's going on. So Rogue record. One,
2: they're a little more one-dimensional, maybe. Well, it's just. Uh, I, I,
1: I'm trying to remember who it was that that put it best. I, you know, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell actually put it best. Um, you don't walk out of the movie remembering everybody's name. That's not good. I mean, I mean, it's just you know there are a lot of characters that you keep up with. There are a lot of characters in person. But the thing is, you're sitting there, you're looking at them, and you're you know you don't even have to give them a name. You you know who everyone is. It's just that the names are not you know. They're not names that you're. It, there's not a Luke Skywalker. No or names a Han Solo. against. Yeah, and you know, so the names don't grab you, you know, it, 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 in that way. And you know, it's just you know the, the it goes. And and I mean, it's a it's a like I said, it's a great movie. That last half is so amazing. And there is one scene that is something that we've been waiting to see for forty years, nearly forty years. And it was just like, okay, that that Was worth the price of admission right there.
2: Oh, um, well, I've heard that it's a little more adult, a little more gritty, a little more because it is more of a war picture. It's because it's they're dealing strictly with them being, uh, at you know, at war with each other, yeah. So that it may be a little more, a little maybe a little darker, a little more adult, not quite as uh, I can't uh, wait to, t- I can't wait to whiz. talk to
1: you after you see it so I can. Talk more because I don't want to say anything more with. Right, right.
2: I know it's I know it's hard. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. But uh, yeah, well, did did uh, did Chris like it. I mean, does it appeal to its core audience of Chris really,
1: really loved it? That's good. Now, Beth, again, she was she was tired. And the first half an hour of the movie did not move the fastest. It was a lot of exposition, a lot of telling you who's who, what's what and where they got to go. Yeah. And she, she just said, "No nah, no." Nah. and she went to sleep purposefully, went to sleep for the remainder of the film and she missed when it got good. I had no idea that that had happened and oh, you, didn't, you didn't know she was asleep. I didn't know she was asleep until and I can't say what, what moment, but there was a, a very poignant moment. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, can you <laughs> believe that?" And there she is just <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm like, no. No, Star Wars isn't for everybody. And and I'm like I'm like I, I, I wake her and I'm like you know it's like oh my gosh, babe, how much have you missed
2: <laughs> all of it? And
1: she goes, are, are we near the end? I said, yeah. She goes, pretty much all of it. <laughs> oh well. And I'm just like, no. And this this is her birthday movie, okay? Now, did I ever tell you the Two Towers story? I don't think so. Before she met me. She has much no- happier <laughs> She had nothing to do with anything geek related. She didn't care for that Star Trek stuff or Star Wars stuff or any of that stuff. And uh, she was dating some some guy and he wanted to take her out for her birthday. So he takes her out to see the two towers. Now, let me reiterate, she had nothing to do with anything geek related at all, meaning, she never saw Fellowship of the Ring. That can be a little confusing. And he took her to see the Two Towers. And uh, you know, I said, "So did that just spell the doom for the relationship, or was that <laughs> the doom of the relationship?" And she goes, "No, that was the doom of the relationship. That was the end of it." You know, because just he he wanted to go see that so bad that he overrode anything that she wanted to do. Oh, I want to take you to see this movie. You know?
2: well, and I and I can understand that—that that you get caught up in something that you want so badly to share with somebody else. You want them to love it as much as you are, you do. And I, I'm guilty of doing that with Vanilla. I, I tend to kind of get really excited about stuff, and I kind of drag her to things that I think she she goes along because you know, you know, she's a great person and wants to make me happy. But I think mm, a lot of yeah, times it's just she but would rather know. not do it.
1: Beth will tell it like it is. So, (laughs) you know, she's just like, no, no, that wasn't, no, no. (laughs) And so, so, you know, whenever I'm doing something for her, for her birthday or an anniversary or something, I got to be very sensitive to these things. Now she's different from, from other women in so many different respects. She actually wants like home appliances as gifts. Like if, if I were to buy a griddle, She'd think it's a gift, not just something for the house.
2: So if you bought her a vacuum, that wouldn't be out of line.
1: Well, we don't have carpet anymore, but you know.
2: Huh.
1: Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, yeah, you understand what I'm talking right, about. Right, right, right. Know, she, she, you know, she likes something that is, that can be utilized. She likes tools. She likes appliances. She likes stuff that she can use. And so you know, there, that's not something you do with a lot of women. A lot of women, you sit there and you 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 know bring something that they can cook in and they think that's a sign that, you know, you, that you think that that's their job cooking. Yeah. And uh, I spend more time in the kitchen than anybody here. So it really would be something useful for me. And I guess she'd still think, thank you.
2: Yeah. But wait, 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 wait. <laughs> cooking, cooking is not their job. Uh Oh, <laughs> no. If we have yeah. any female listeners, uh, I was a joke. That was, that was only a joke.
1: Yeah. Well, Hey, you know, <laughs> but, uh, You know, it's just the when it came time to you know pick a movie to go see, um, there was other movies out there that I knew she wanted to go see. Um, I think I'm not sure if Loving is out right now, but uh, Sing um, was it Passengers? Is Passengers out yet?
2: I don't. I don't uh, don't think so. The Chris Pine, not not Chris Pine. Um, Chris Chris Pratt. Pratt. Uh, I don't think it's out yet it
1: oh actually it it is out but for tomorrow I mean okay TV
2: starts, starts tonight yeah tonight
1: and uh but I mean there's there's other movies out there that she has uh wanted to wanted to see have um, you seen the
2: arrival or arrival no.
1: no we have not seen the arrival and I know she wants to go see that and I think she's wanted to go see uh Mona maybe Manchester by the sea
2: I've heard that's supposed pretty good
1: you know, and I'm like, well, what, what movie do you want to go see this weekend? And I'm sitting there in my head just going, Star Wars, Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars. You know, just, oh, my gosh. But there's no way she's going to pick well, now me. She's she's, gonna have,
2: now she's going to have to watch it again because she missed it.
1: And, and she said, let's go see Star Wars. I'm excited for this. This looks good. It's got strong female character, you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, really? Are you sure you don't want to go see something else? You know? <laughs> As it is. Yeah. I'm going to take her to see this movie again. And uh because she, it was just so, so good. Uh, the, the area where I nodded off was actually a quiet point before it really took off. And I, I only, it, it's not like I fell asleep. I actually just kind of nodded and I yeah. realized I was, I realized I was on the nods. And
2: has there, so yeah, has there been a, uh, Has Chris or anybody else done a five-minute freak on Rogue One? Uh, Chris Honeywell
1: and uh, Scott Gardner did the first two True Freaks proper. Oh, that's the
2: one. Yeah, I saw on Facebook he was actually recording one. Yeah, Uh, that's
1: that's what they were recording.
2: Okay, that makes sense.
1: So they put that out. I think there's another one out there. Um, I think there's and there's also one on Give Me the Star Wars on the Fire and Water Network. And uh, I mean, uh, I haven't listened to that yet because I've been listening to so much other stuff. Uh, this week but um my wife because my wife is watching all of her christmas shows so you know when i get off work if i've got nothing to do i'll sit there and listen to a podcast do some research lay down in bed listen to a podcast go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) but um no there's but there's a lot of good stuff out there now um but yeah I, i i can't wait to talk to you about rogue one after you've seen it Keep your eyes open. There is
2: I hear Easter there's lots, lots, of Easter eggs.
1: You know, and there was one, just one that I thought was unnecessary. And you'll know it when you see it. All the others fit perfectly. And the movie fit like a glove into the continuity, you know? And it, it answered. I'm excited to see it, yeah. It answered questions. It solved
2: gripes. And that's all I'll say about it. Okay, well I'm, I'm kind of excited to see it and see what uh see what I uh I'll let you know what I think about it. So, what we're going to do tonight, brain, we are going to talk a little Star Trek. This is will be our last, not our last. This will be our final Star Trek for this year then and, and we were for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. We were trying we had such high hopes of covering so many <laughs> So many Star Trek stories, and we just, you know, life got in the way, and we just couldn't get a chance to get to it. So, but we are going to give you one that I will try to get this out. So, if you're listening to this, it will be out probably Christmas Eve. It'll be our little little present to our listeners.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But we're going to be talking about uh, John Byrne Star Trek, of course. It's his the five issue uh, run he did on uh, based on Assignment Earth, the series two. Season two, final episode of the original series called Assignment Earth, and it was based on that because that was a uh, whether everybody knows this or not, that was a failed uh, backdoor pilot uh, of another series that Roddenberry wanted to get off the uh, get off the ground, and it just never materialized. So Byrne kind of wrote his stories based on as if it had become a series. So it's following uh, Gary um, Gary Seven and Roberta. Lincoln and further adventures, uh, and we're going to cover the first issue, uh, which is called "Brighter Than a Thousand Suns." I've got a little little back. I'm sure you probably have some back background on this, but I've got a little bit that I will. Uh, what I've uncovered, my I did a little limited uh, uh, limited research on it. But as I said, it's uh, based on the final episode of season two called "Assignment Earth," which was. Uh, broadcast on March 29th, nineteen sixty eight. Uh, the The main stars are Robert Lansing and Terry Garr. And I don't, I don't know if this is her first acting credit, but it's one of the early acting credits for. Her, I know that uh, was, like I said, was supposed to go back to a pilot for a spinoff that never, you know, got off the ground. Uh, the series, uh, the series that Byrne covered, the, the five issues that Byrne uh, drew, cover follow them from 1968 to 74. So it kind of goes, we get a little bit of, a, you know, some, some time jumping there. Uh, and they, not only are they in these five issues, but they also show up in issue three and four of the Dr. McCoy, Frontier Doctor, which we cover. Well, we already covered the first issue of that. Uh, and Gary Seven also appears in, uh, there's some novels by an author named Greg Cox, and he wrote uh, a Star Trek novel called Assignment Eternity. And a two part novel, uh, The Eugenics Wars The Rise and Fall of Khan, Noonien Singh. And Gary Seven and Roberta both uh, are in that. And I won't spoil, I haven't read them, but I won't spoil anything. But their involvement with uh, trying to prevent Khan and his uh, others from taking over the planet. Uh, do you have any uh, kind of background to this, uh, Brian, before I kind of get well, into the well,
1: issue you proper? Know, just talking about Terry Gar there for a moment, this wasn't her first credit. Uh, she had uh, done bit parts on like the Andy Griffith show. She'd even had a little bit part on Batman series back then the William Dozier series with Adam West and Burt Ward. Oh, uh, right. but it was just a, uh, it was just like an extra moment. She was just a girl outside of the bank in one of the Mr. Freeze episodes. And, um, I mean, she was on Dr. Kildare and the pajama party. And there was even a, a movie called Viva Las Vegas where she played a show girl and uh, I mean, she her career started in about 1963.
2: Okay, so she'd been acting and, for about five years.
1: Yeah, but it would still be a uh, a good uh, six years before she did one of her most famous roles, one of my favorite roles ever of her, and that was Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I just you know, Terry Gar was always one of those favorites. Uh, whether whether she was showing up there, whether she was on MASH or she was even on Friends. Uh, for the last couple of seasons, is Phoebe's mother.
0: Oh, and, I forgot uh, about
1: that. Yeah, she, and, and of course she had that great role in Mr. Mom. But, you know, what's funny is, is that, you know, she is real, real big on the talk show circuits. Uh, you know, all the, the Tonight Show, Letterman, whatever. She will not talk about
2: Star Trek. Yeah, I've heard about it. She doesn't have anything she to had say a, about this. She had a bad experience.
1: And I don't know if that was, I don't know what it was. You know, there, there's I, I, I couldn't sit there and even fathom a guess as to what happened. I just know she had a bad experience and doesn't like to talk about it pretty much in the same way. Susan Sarandon doesn't like to talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But uh, <laughs> that, that being said, it is, uh, you know, it's it's really an enjoyable episode. And it's one of those things where people don't realize just what uh, a feat it was because they had to, they got stock footage from NASA. And for some reason, there were so many people that just thought, you know, wow, they went out and filmed them, you know, filmed all the rockets just for Star Trek and all the, the stuff where you see Kirk and Spock down at, uh, you know, the, the, the Cape and they see Gary Seven dealing with them. That was all in the, the Hollywood backlot. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And it just, you know, as a kid, it was a seamless episode. I was sitting there going, "Wow, I can't believe they got all that." And then you know, Scotty was using that satellite to sit there and get footage of the the Gemini rocket and everything. And that was just you know other stock footage that they acquired. Well,
2: and what you don't think of is you know watching this fifty years later that at the at the time the, the the show was produced, the original episode, we hadn't landed on the moon yet, so we were still that was that wasn't like that was old footage that they dug up and incorporated into a series. That was stuff that was actively going on at the time that the show yeah. was on.
1: And, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I remember just recently um, I was uh, – oh, yeah, it was The Philosophy of Star Trek was one of the other shows that I'd listened to recently on, I believe, On Fire and Water. And they, they play the opening the, – not the opening, but the speech that Kirk gives uh, when he's trying to convince Dr. McCoy that they should um, allow the aliens to take them over in what, – what is that one? Return to Tomorrow with Sargon. and Return to Tomorrow. Yeah, you know, the speech risk is our business. Right,
2: that's why we're got, out here.
1: Yeah, but the, one of the things he says, he goes, what if the first Apollo mission hadn't landed on the moon? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, anyway, it, it it's funny to sit there and hear it. So we, we do know that they're on an alternate timeline. Huh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Well, or was that James R. Kirk talking there? That could have been well.
2: <clears throat> no, 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 I want James
1: on card. Boy, I really went off on a tangent, didn't I? <laughs> That's okay. I'm so I'm so good at that. But you know, the the thing is is that this was actually a really good idea um when when Byrne decided to pick this up because he didn't have to sit there again to work with because uh, he he's not a big lightness guy when it comes to doing characters. He likes to be able to to freehand it all rather than to pull it from uh, pictures. Right. Which is what you have to do when you're working with likenesses. And so he built a model for Terry Gar's character for Roberta Lincoln. And he built a very convincing model for Gary Seven, though he looks like I said before uh, to you, he looks like a like a cross between Robert Lansing and Harrison Ford, um, you know, when I when I'm sitting or looking at him. Um, but it was a good series to sit there and come in. And he he threw a few wrinkles in it that i guess a lot of people hadn't really considered um with the series now we don't see that so much in in this this first book but we do know that in other uh issues that he actually has a number of time traveling things and there's a crossover yeah. um with with the uh was that the enterprise incident
2: no it's uh, tomorrow is yesterday
1: tomorrow is yesterday that's right and there's also a crossover with the dr mccoy uh, in the frontier medicine, right, books.
2: right. There's a, there's there's events that happen in this that are picked up in. Well, also there are stuff that happen in this that pick are picked up in crew, aren't they? Um, boy, I'm I'm with the clones. I
1: okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. And He's um, tying it all together, he ties it all together. I mean, the only person that would tie it together he tighter is Peter David. But it would get silly then.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it would tie it together better. Would be that uh, rug that Lebowski had in his house. <laughs> That's a I'm deep the dude. cut. That's a deep I'm the cut. Okay. <laughs> I'm
1: the dude. <laughs> now, uh, let me ask you: How did you read this? Did Did you read this from the the issues or trade paperback? Or I read
2: the, this from the Burn collection, the Star okay. Trek Burn, the Heartbound.
1: Now I've got that, but I before I gotten that, I bought trade paperbacks of this. And the Romulan Pawns of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, ha- I had those earlier going into that. And uh, You know, the thing is, these are, this is my reader copy. And this is the one I loan out to anybody that's like I, I want to show to and say, hey, check this out. Because um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the series as a whole. Though, um, as we get into the story, I, there is one, one bit in here that really pulled me out of the story. And made me do some research, and uh, I, well, we'll we'll get there when we get there. So, um, are we ready for a synopsis, or did you want to take a quick break? Or,
2: yeah, let's. Uh, we haven't we haven't had a promo one of our uh, shows, so let's uh, let's
0: take a quick break. Excellent. We'll be right back. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jason Jack You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Are the robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have i got a podcast for you bots bugs and babes the b movie podcast from classics to cults and all the yummy yummy cheese in between look for my new show bots bugs and babes on the two true freaks network and on itunes that's bots bugs and babes the b movie podcast double j on the triple b is your hookup holler if you hear me
2: And we're back. All right. Now let's get into issue one. As said before, Star Trek Assignment Earth, issue one of five. Uh, Our publisher is IDW. This had a cover date of May 2008. Cover price is $3.99. It has 32 pages. Writer, artist, anchor is Mr. John Byrne. Colorist is Tom Smith. Our letterer is Robbie Robbins. And the editor is Chris Ryle. Um, and at the same time, maybe you can uh, shed some light on this. Uh, at the same time, this came out the same month. He put out a book called FX Issue 3. I have no information about that. He was pencil anchor on that.
1: Really? I don't know what that, that is. That doesn't... Uh, let me... Uh, I, I can, I'm can. i going to check on that real quick while you're going over other stuff.
2: And he also put out JLA Classified Number 54. He was pencil on that.
1: Yeah, and that's the last thing that he did for DC, isn't it?
2: Oh, I couldn't tell you that, but if it's 2008, that's got to be one of the last things he did.
1: Um, he wasn't happy with the inks done on JLA Classified, and I—I I tell you, I actually enjoyed it. There were some things that did look a little wonky, and I, I chalked that up completely to uh, to the inking, though. Hmm. It just didn't—you know—didn't look like something Byrne would draw. Um, FX, it—I see a giant gorilla. Um, and the guy in the superhero costume looks suspiciously like Cannonball, but he's got some sort of jet airplane silhouette over him. That's really weird. Hmm. Um, but it, it looks like, you know, it's, it's another attempt to draw an old fashioned superhero story outside of the sandboxes of the Marvel and DC yeah. universe. And, uh, you know, again, that's always going to be a tough sell. Um, Next Men, you know, had its own allure in what it was. And so that worked really good when he was doing you know, his work at Dark Horse. But, you know, along, aside from that, you know, he worked on the other uh, things that they had there. He, I mean, not, not just there, but IDW, like, um, he worked on the aliens. There was an aliens book that he did at Dark Horse. And of course, the work yeah. that he's done on the angel books, uh, for IDW, uh, which of course are, you know, just properties of someone else. But yeah when he did his 2112 trio and and this right here it always seems like there's something missing to me and I, I i feel it's probably just because he's not playing in the sandbox and there's not that possibility of crossing over with these other great characters you want to see
2: well some of some of those just feel like that Kiss heart's not quite in it so i don't know if that is he feels compelled you know He's you know he's got to pay his bills he's got to he's got to produce something but uh, they don't seem yeah. to be quite, quite the the effort doesn't seem to be put into those quite as, as his star well, trek stuff or
1: i mean this artwork is beautiful what i see here is really really beautiful i mean it's you know it's burn you know doing really really good burn and it's obviously he's uh, doing the pencils and the inks um but he's doing good thin lines it's not yeah. as thick and as thick and heavy as some of the other stuff when he inks himself
2: well we'll have to uh maybe find some of those I don't think how heavy those copies we have to find some of this stuff and pull them up and bring them on the show
1: yeah we'll have to, have to check that out yeah. what
2: do y'all think do y'all
1: have, have any of you guys read FX and what do you think you want to give us uh yeah let us know a,
2: well no. should let we listen. or should we not cover it but we oh, hey we we cover the good and the bad Yep.
1: gotta get um, burned to gmail.com that's our address alright
2: yep. all right. All right. Uh, we, like said, we are covering issue 1 titled brighter than a thousand suns and the synopsis goes a little something like this uh, our issue opens with the final exchange between Kirk Spock and Gary Seven at the end of assignment earth episode basically replays that whole episode uh, then suddenly we jump three months into the future as Gary, Roberta and Isis that's his cat are edging along a window ledge in an apartment building high above Albuquerque, New Mexico. Something is blocking their teleporter and their basically their spying devices from their computer. So Isis, and Isis, Isis, Gary's black cat, sneaks into an open window for them. We see a hand opening a window because, uh, as we don't know, but Isis is a uh, shapeshifter. She can transform into a woman. So she opens the door, lets them in. Uh, they They are investigating the apartment because Gary's uh, computer at his base, Beta Five, detected coded messages coming from this location. Uh, looking, looking for alien tech, they only find standard 1960s spy stuff, Soviet spy stuff. ISIS then uh, warns them that someone is approaching, so they hide. A man dressed in black, in a black trench coat, and looking like Boris from the Rocky Balinco show, enters the room. Gary stuns a man with his sonic screwdriver. Which puts him into a highly suggestive state. Gary questions him about did the event. Did you advanced.
1: call it... Excuse me. Did you just call that a sonic screwdriver? I called
2: it a sonic screwdriver. But
1: I just call it a, a sonic-, sonic screwdriver.
2: That's a servo. <laughs> it's a servo. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sonic screwdriver. I'm sorry. Are, are you trying to raise
1: a comparison between
2: this and Doctor Who? <laughs> oh, I don't want to cross the streams. You know, we're oh, not okay. supposed to do that. <laughs> okay. Uh But if I say it again, I may say it again in my synopsis. All right. Uh, Gary questions him about the high-tech uh, advanced tech and Ivan reveals its hidden location. Gary discovers the tech is conventional earth technology but has an energy level that is off the charts, off the charts. Where does this tech come from? They leave as Ivan's female partner enters the room. They teleport back to Gary's New York office and now they are now that the jamming device is deactivated they can spy on the Russians who they learn are involved in a top secret nuclear task called Hercules. They head back to New Mexico, the San, the San Lobos Atomic Research Facility to be exact. Disguised as lab techs, they make their way to the main lab and meet a diverse group of scientists led by Dr. Diana Winters. After a round of handshakes and a suspicious look from Dr. Truman, Gary gets Dr. Winters alone in sonic screwdriver's herd to telling him what the goal of the project is. Well, Project Hercules is attempting to develop an enhanced fusion bomb or superatomic. The bomb is ready to test in less than 24 hours. Gary is shocked that they have created such a destructive weapon, and if something were to go wrong... Dot, dot, dot... Could cause trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: Gary, Roberta, and Dr. Winters drive out to the test site to investigate. They eat smitty the guard and take the down to the bomb buried nearly a mile below the surface. Garbed in radiation suits, they meet the two on-site scientists overseeing the final stage of the test. Gary is immediately suspicious of Dr. Wing a recent Chinese defector. Later that night, Gary sends ISIS to spy on Dr. Wang while he wines and dines Dr. Winters. The couple seems to hit it off and Diana invites Gary back to her place and he accepts. Teleporting back at 5 a.m. in the morning, Gary and Roberta review the dossiers of all the scientists at the lab. And we get a heavy expeditional page of all the scientists, their backgrounds, their political affiliations, their school backgrounds, everything. Uh, We get extensive background information on the eight scientists working on the Hercules. They still suspect Truman and Wang, but that night we see a meeting between an unknown man and Dr. Truman. Truman receives a mysterious package from the man. Truman is to leave the package in the usual place and number one will install it. It appears Dr. Truman is one of the saboteurs, but who who is number one? The morning of the test. Everyone is in the control room except Truman, Gary, and Dr. Winters. Winters arrives at the bomb side for final check when she is held at gunpoint by Dr. Truman. Truman is threatening her when Gary stuns him from behind with his sonic screwdriver. Gary hands Diana's Truman, Truman's gun and explains they are in danger and have to shut down the test. They are in danger, but not from Truman. Diana is a Soviet spy and she pistol whips Gary and puts on a radiation suit. She, ta- she steals his sonic screwdriver. She takes a package Truman received the night before and heads down below to install the Monkey Wrench that will cause a bomb to contaminate half the country. Gary follows and tries to convince her to give up her murderous plot, but she will not hear of it. She has served her country faithfully and will return to Russia with a Sonic Screwdriver as a bonus prize. The KGB will be very interested in its workings. She is about to kill Gary when the guard Smitty, having overheard her confession of being a spy, shoots her in the back of the head. She falls, Imperial Palpatine style, into the lower levels. Dead. Epilogue. Gary is filling uh, out his report on the incident when Roberta enters the room. Project Hercules has been shut down, but the rest of the spy ring is still large. Roberta senses, Gary's, Roberta senses Gary made a real connection with Diana, and it will take him time to recover from her death. The end. Good story. Good oh. synopsis. Yeah. Very well Thank done. You. Thank you. I had fun writing it.
1: Now, this is... um. Now let me ask you: uh, the copy that you read in the the uh, bound volume, did it have the chapter one page that shows Gary Seven and Roberta and Isis next to the computer?
2: Are you talking about the uh, final scene of like Trek or?
1: No, it's before that.
2: No, I don't have it, and it's not in the uh, burn collection.
1: Okay the 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 bound not the the trade paperback first. It's got, um, and I'm assuming this would be on the inside of the front page. It's got a, uh, a little computer screen kind of graphic that's got like silhouettes of uh, Gary Seven and Roberta and Isis, and it basically gives a little rundown of, of who he is and what they are. Um, I don't have
2: that unless it's – now because all yeah. I have is the uh, – let me,
1: let me go ahead and read this here. Um, his code name is Gary Seven. On the world where he was raised, he is known as Supervisor 194, where that world is – only the inhabitants know. But for thousands of years, those inhabitants have been taking people from Earth and training them, preparing them for the desperate mission to save the people of the Earth from their own foolish and warlike nature. Assisting Gary Seven in his assignment on Earth are Roberta Lincoln, Earthborn, 20-something, sometimes flighty, sometimes erratic, but with a keen mind and a high IQ, and a Beta-5 computer, capable of analytical decisions and not at all shy about informing Supervisor 194, of what its views are on his shortcomings, oh yes, and ISIS. I thought that was pretty cool. And then there's yeah. a a full page picture that's kind of uh, in a a green silhouette uh, that says Chapter One, and it shows Gary and uh, Roberta and ISIS sitting there looking at the uh, is it Cat Five? Is that what I said? The computer Beta, beta Five. Beta five. I'm sorry. And now um, one other fact, though, if uh, if you remember in the original series on the assignment Earth episode, the voice of the beta five was a different voice. And that was um, Barbara Babcock. Right. And uh, now if you're a Hill Street Blues fan, uh, you'll recognize that name. But she was on um, an episode of the original series. I'm just trying to remember the one. Was it a, a taste of Armageddon that she was on? Barbara uh, that's the
2: same woman that's on Hill Street. If that's what you're referring yeah. to, then yes, that's yeah.
1: her. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, she, I mean, she, she like Sally Kellerman was one of those women that was, uh, you know, just one of those actresses that you loved and followed their career. And, uh, she was, she was always really cool and, and, uh, sexy, hmm. uh, even, even in her later years. So, uh, you know, I, I was always a big fan of that. So whenever the computer was talking, I was always hearing her voice.
2: Interesting. I don't, I so don't... When, I,
1: when I was reading this, yeah, and she also did the voice of the cat Isis,
2: the the meow and the yeah
1: all the all oh, the that that's her oh it. that's that's Barbara Babcock yeah. Oh. Now the actual woman that played Isis, she was a Playboy playmate.
2: That didn't surprise me.
1: Yeah, I think you think she was the playmate of the year of '65, but you know.
2: Well, so in some of my research, that they she is called she's an Omegan, and that's a race that. I guess if the if the series had taken off, that would have been their primary uh, heavy, and the series have been these Omegans who were shapeshifters, and she is. Uh, that's why she can. And I don't know if that's her two forms. She can just the cat and the and the human, but mm-hmm. that's why uh, that's why she and can see, transform back and forth.
1: And see here, I was thinking, wow, okay, so this is what McGonagall was doing before Harry Potter. <laughs> Young McGonagall, (laughs) young McGonagall, (laughs) quite the sex kitten. Pardon intended. (laughs) Okay, so uh, I guess let's take a look here. Yeah,
0: I'm going to be, um,
2: uh, and I'm going to tell you this straight up, right up front. I am not happy with the artwork in this, Um, at least the figures. If it's well, let me let me amend that. If it's a, if it's kind of a close-up shot of a face, it's pretty good. A lot of his uh, long shots or where the figure is kind of small in the frame, it looks really rough.
1: Yeah, that that little recap page, the very first page, which is the recap ending of the Enterprise incident, or assignment – I'm sorry, assignment Earth episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did he, – he took such long shots in there so he didn't have to give you the close-ups of Kirk and Spock. And I, I, I always found Spock to look a little odd. Uh, his head. I mean, the first, the first panel. He looks almost like Namor, with a bad
2: haircut. Well, he does. He he does kind of look like Namor and, anyway. And but, then the
1: next, the next panel, they show Spock, and he looks like Kripke from uh, Big Bang Theory. <laughs>
2: uh. Well, look at look at Kirk's face at the very bottom. What's, yeah. what's that grin? What is that? It, it's that's Peter Parker. Yeah, or, or he looks like yeah. That's a that's like little Ditko, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's just, yeah, it's,
2: hmm.
1: I I think this is like, he wanted to get this out of there so he could tie it into it. But um, again, I, you know, that, that, that one big frame that's got Gary seven up close. It looks like Harrison Ford.
2: Yeah. It looks a little Chris Reeves, a little Chris Reeves too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that the way the smile is. And yeah.
2: Yeah. I think if you didn't know that this is supposed to be Robert Lansing and you just looked at this cold, you wouldn't. I don't think you could tell that's Robert Lansing, but knowing that, you can see the resemblance well, we that have he's watched, trying to.
1: I don't know about you, but I've watched that episode a hundred times. I, I actually watched it as I was getting ready for this. Too. I watched
2: it twice while I was getting ready for this.
1: So I was like, I, I showed my son because it's like he likes to watch Star Trek episodes with me. He won't watch them without me. So it, you know, it's like I've just I've been introducing him to a bunch of different episodes left and right. And, of course, I'm doing all the cool ones. I haven't done the bad ones.
2: Oh, he gotta give, he's got to watch all of it. I think he, I'll he, have to he, show him Spock's brain sometime really He's got to watch. I, there's stuff to like in Spock's brain. Yeah.
1: But now we get onto the next page, and the one thing that becomes apparent to me um, on, on these next couple pages is that he's created his own model for Roberta Lincoln because it, it doesn't look like Terry Garr, really.
2: No, it just looks like a, a, a typical burn female. Yeah, female,
1: young, lo, lo, young twenties, late teens, female, and uh, he plays it very fast and loose with a short skirt. Mm-hmm. But
2: uh, but it, it's very fashionable. I mean, I will say this: Burner's always been uh, good with fashion. He's always had his fashion has always fit the era that it's been in.
1: Yeah. Now, what I, what I find interesting here is you know the 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 page where they're on the ledge. All right, you can see that, and they're walking over to get to the window. But if you look be- beneath them, the level beneath them, you can see there's a window there where the blinds are pulled up and a lamp and some other item is on a desk there or on a table there. And it's that kind of detail that I love to see, that he's going to sit there and, and just take the time to put that there. He could have left that just a blank spot or an open window or, or whatever, but he, he went there and put a lamp and, and something else there. It's I'm not sure exactly sure. Well, what yeah,
2: I mean, is. you can look at the building across the way and he's got he's he's filled in all the windows with something some kind of yeah, a shape and that, people yeah yeah that kind of stuff doesn't bother me but when he's when he's drawing some of these faces they just look yeah and, and i don't think this is the case obviously he said he was inked it this almost looks like in parts of this that he uh it was it was just scanned pencils instead of inked hmm I mean, obviously, I don't think that's the case, but that's what it looks like. It looks like he just almost like his the Captain they America issue we covered.
1: Yeah, well, maybe uh, I'm thinking maybe that he did rough pencils and then he inked over lightly, rather than you know he really inked over with thin lines rather than the thick lines that you would. Normally yeah, yeah. See. It,
2: could, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been just uh, minimal inking.
1: Yeah, the other thing that 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 really struck me in this now looking at the the trade paperback and even looking back at the bound volume of uh, all, all of his stories is that everything was done with the black background. And uh, you and I talked about this before, but because of this series takes place mostly in not normal daylight in modern day kind of well, modern day, it's in the sixties um, that the black background really stands out and it makes the pages almost seem smaller. Um, but it really makes the, I mean, it makes the artwork pop. In that way, even though the art is very mundane because it's just, you know, modern and and not modern day, but, you know, normal, everyday kind of stuff. Yeah,
2: it's just people,
1: people, people in everyday clothes. And I think that's part of what gives us almost a, a plain look about it is because it's everyday clothes and it's not superhero outfits or Starfleet uniforms or or whatever. And I think that that's also what, you know, makes the art seem a little
2: mundane. I will not argue that. It Does I think maybe that's my problem, and I don't. I don't. I don't want to skip ahead as to what I thought about the overall issue. We'll talk about that when we get. get yeah. Uh, get on, okay. but but it's, it it is a little, it's a little kind of cut and dry. I mean, it's it's not. It's not. It's not, it's not dynamic. That's it, exactly that. I think you hit your hit it right in the head right there. It's not, and it should be a little more dynamic, and and also what. You know they they're, they they break into the room, mm-hmm. and then they're they discover it's this standard tech, and then uh, this Russian agent comes in. They zap him, get him to confess.
1: And I love what they did there with the smile on that guy. That was yeah. the same smile that we saw before. But um, yeah, and and uh, the guy reminded me a little bit of of um, I want to say it was um Dum Dum-Dum, Dum not Dum Dum Dugan. Who was the um, the cop that worked with Maggie Sawyer for DC and a special crimes unit.
2: I can't. We covered that one. I think we did the Banshee, but I can't I can't yeah. remember her name.
1: But, uh, you know, I mean, it reminds me of a heavier version of him. That was the one that they killed on um, in the Superman the Animated Series when they fought Apocalypse, oh. when they fought Darkseid. And, and in that animated series, they made him look like Jack Kirby because he was a That's Jack cool.
2: Kirby character. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, well, th- this guy is yeah. This guy just looks like a typical kind of a burn heavy. You know, not yeah. cut, not quite a realistic face, but just a, a kind of a, a burn goon.
1: Yeah.
2: And they, you know, and they and they and this is where it gets a little confusing because obviously he's a spy, and they find out that he's involved with uh, something involved somehow with Project Hercules. Uh, they find this standard Earth tech, but that it somehow it's been amped up, so it's putting out power levels that it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, interrupted by the... I thought these two were... Uh, if she'd had black hair, which I think Byrne should have, they would look exactly like Boris and Natasha. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was I was biblical. curious about her hairstyle, the woman that came into the room, whether or not that was a hairstyle that was popular in the 60s, because that makes me think of one of Lex Luthor's uh, ladies Yeah, that, that works for him in the 80s, especially with the the collar up and the cleavage showing and all that. Um, I, I was questioning that, but I think, you know, again, I didn't watch Musin's
2: Squirrel much. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I just thought that's me. Are you know, kind of thinking when you think of the prototypical Russian spies?
1: Yeah, but see. When I think of Boris and Natasha, though, I always think more of a, of a, what, what's her name on the Adams family? Morticia oh, Adams. Oh,
2: Morticia Adams.
1: Because I, th- I always thought that Natasha looked like her, didn't she? Yeah, hey, but then Sally yeah. Kellerman played her in the movie, didn't she?
2: Oh, and uh, Rocky Bullwinkle? was it? I know was. Uh, Boris was Jason Alexander. I don't know who.
1: Moving on.
2: So they basically they, did, they just get a hint of what's going on. They leave those two. They head back to New York, and that that's a nice shot of New York, and it's a nice shot of the of his apartment, and that looks like that's almost directly referenced from the TV show, the episode, because the angles. Yeah. And everything—it looks almost like he just took a a still shot from the, uh, not traced it, but just you know referencing when he drew it. And they beam back in through his uh, wall safe, and we find out that—well, I guess this is when we find out they're dealing with Project Hercules is going to be—they're—they're involved in it somehow. But we never see these two again, and we really don't know their involvement. Now, have you read all the all five of these issues?
1: Um, I read all of them before. I have not – I just read this one – reread this one for this.
2: This is my first time to read this one, and I haven't read the others. So I don't know if this is a plot point he picks up later in the other issues. Yeah, Yeah, I don't recall that being the case. I think that's kind of a – I could uh, be wrong. So they discovered that now they're going to have to head back to Albuquerque, to Los San Lobos, Disguised himself <laughs> you, as. You a, wanted
1: to say Los Alamos. So did I did. I, <laughs> I
2: did. It's my brain wanted to say. You know, and disguised as, uh, as Roberta says, boring clothes. They basically dress as lab techs. And I think as odd as the, the MP comes up, he's got his fake ID. Yep. Does the MP not question at all that this guy's got a black cat with him? Or does he think it's a stray with this diamond type necklace? I mean, he doesn't. Or does. Maybe people don't see ISIS. Maybe she kind of puts out some kind of a a vibe or something so that she's not normally seen by humans.
1: Hmm. I mean, it is a base out in the desert, so animals.
2: Yeah, it it could be considered a stray, but uh, in that bottom right panel, this is where it it, it looks a little rough. His face looks just unfinished. Gary Seven's face when he's holding the ID at the guard. Yeah. It almost looks like, you know how Byrne would draw Superman when he would vibrate his face so people couldn't see him? Yeah, exactly. it looks like that's what he's
1: trying to do. Hmm. Boy, and see, that looks like John Bonet Ramsey sitting next to him.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, her look kind of changes. Through. Oh God, you're right. It does look like a little yeah. kind of kid.
1: Now, which ID is that that he gave him? Though is that because you, you you remember he was able to get the the computer to give him multiple yeah IDs, NSA, CIA, whatever. Which is funny because back then NSA was a rumor. No one knew that it really existed. They just talked about it existing, so him being a part of that that was interesting uh, but to you know to have an ID to sit there and flash to anybody would be kind of a mistake.
2: Well, I'm sure the computer or, or maybe it's it's like uh what is it doctor who has he has sonic paper that mm-hmm. looks like whatever the person needs to see that's what they see, yeah, something like that,
1: yeah, and you know you know what you're talking about as far as Gary seven's face on the next page that first panel, it looks really out of place there. Like the proportion is off or whatever. Well, he's
2: got too thin a neck, and his, his face looks too rounded, and his face changes a lot throughout yeah, this.
1: D- does uh, the one Doctor Winters, does um? she look to you like Joan Collins in that first shot? Not necessarily Edith Keeler Joan Collins.
2: She does. I, I see that resemblance.
1: Yeah, but it, it doesn't carry through to the rest of the book, the rest of the story. She's got a different appearance, but that very first shot, I, I saw Joan Collins, but I didn't see it through the rest of it. I saw a much younger woman.
2: I didn't see Joan Collins. I just saw that look like, you know, how you you, you can tell Bernard is drawing somebody either from his life or somebody he's seen as an actual person. That's yeah. what it looks like. He's drawing something. And he, you see he does this a lot. He'll do kind of a detailed drawing. It's like on, uh, the, lower, the first time you see her on a lower page. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of establishes her. Okay, this is who yeah. she is. And then – through, like you said, we did with with Terry Garr, You kind of have an establishing shot, and then throughout the rest of the book, the faces don't have quite as much detail. They're a little yeah. looser, and that's what he's doing when he's when you know he's holding him. And nobody questions any of this stuff. He's got all the right papers. He shows her that you know he's come to help out. She seems impressed. Or knowing what we know later, I don't know if she's playing along or.
1: You know what's missing from this lab shot? You know the the, the panel above the one where they introduce her. They got all these guys working in a lab, and you're seeing it from the door where they enter. Okay, and you can see pretty much the entire lab. There's not a chalkboard anywhere, and mm-hmm. in a lab like that, you're going to have a chalkboard so you can sit there and write down the your 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 calculations and formula because you got to do
2: a lot of stuff on the fly. Uh, maybe they just you just can't see it. Of course, is yeah. the the next page where he's she's reading a letter and, and we get first get our first sign of of Truman and him being suspicious of uh, Gary and Roberta that there's no background at all. There's Well, just... I mean,
1: the, you give a guy a Hitler mustache and <laughs> you're you're going to either think Hitler or J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> and and this guy looks like a cross between
2: Hitler and Mr. Whipple. <laughs> it does look like Mr. Whipple. <laughs> that was that was my note. I said nice Hitler stash. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he can't possibly be the bad guy, can he?
1: <clears throat> well, I mean, that's what you're. that's, you know, what he wants, you know, he wants you to believe I mean everything that he did with this character just wanted to make you suspicious of him. Yeah,
0: he's
2: he's kind of a well, I don't want to say it's a red herring because of what we find out, but again, that's I'll bring that up later. It's something I, some of the problems I have with the, uh, uh, the with story the, with the story, but yeah, in that bottom panel where he's greeting, he's shaking uh, Professor Jarrow's hand, and he's meeting all the rest of them. See that all of that the the faces just look just look unfinished.
1: Yeah, well, it just I mean, in the fact that there's no background on any of this, mm-hmm. and you know, Burns done this in a lot of books and stuff, but I've always I've always kind of disliked it when he does a whole page like that. I can sit there and see him doing a couple panels that way, like like the the page before you, when you see just her face, you want to focus in on that face. No,
2: well, that, that's that's expected, but this, right. but the rest of the
1: page, you know, there's detail in the panels of the rooms that they're in, but this this other page here, it's four panels. It's all, you know, people and and nothing else. And like you said, it's not like he's gone into a great amount of detail to keep them consistent Mm -mm. or anything. And especially something's going on with everybody's necks. It's like he drew a bunch of bodies and decided, okay, I'll put this head on this body here and this head on this body here.
2: And it's just in some cases you can only tell who they are by their the color and the style of their hair. Yeah. Because their faces are so generic.
1: Amazingly, we don't have a single Hank Pym, unless we want to look at the old Doctor. True.
2: Yeah. Well, then he gets Diana, uh, Dr. Winters alone and zaps her, gets her to uh, confess that she's building a super atomic. And he's uh, he's shocked that uh, because, as he says, destroy the entire civilization on hey. Delphi Centaurus 6. Delphi That's- Centaurus six. Six. 6.
1: That is a mouthful. <laughs> but yeah, look at the picture on her desk. Is that Wilford Brimley, or is that just John Byrne's self-portrait with his haircut really tight I
2: don't know. I was gonna say it's Einstein, but I don't think Einstein ever went bald like that. So no, it's no. probably your dad. It's probably just supposed to be your dad. Yep. Uh, so our plot thickens because we now we know that they are creating this a uh, super atomic weapon, uh-huh. and they have to go out to the. uh Site to see it, and then on the next page, we get Gamma Base. Wait, I know (laughs) that's my doesn't look like the Gamma Bomb.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I thought. The for when they first showed him start driving out there, and um, yeah,
2: but that close up shot on the next page in the corner where you see the tower, she's saying, You know, is that the bomb? No, that's just a cooling tower. We've got some really wonderful burn tech. I love the way he's drawn all this little detail and design.
1: Now, let me ask you, though. um, They point out Roberta's lack of knowledge in the area. Now, she's supposed to be super bright, and I can understand anybody even bright not necessarily being knowledgeable on something like this. But they take several steps in this whole story to point that out, and yet nothing ever comes of that.
2: No, but yeah, they call her on it, but nobody, there's no consequence. They don't, they don't. uh Right. Uh, and maybe that's an after effect of, of her being uh hit with a servo. Maybe she's still, there's a little bit of a lingering suggestibility so that, that or. Yeah, I don't, I, or I don't know, yeah. Or knowing what we know about Dr. Winters, maybe it's just not that important.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And so then we meet Smitty, who's our guard at the base, or. On the on the uh, on the,
1: was the, he the one to hit on her earlier, on Roberta?
2: I don't think so. That guy was an no, MP. That, 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 was, yeah. that was an MP. MP. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so they go down. I don't know how far the a couple levels, and they suit up and they're. Well, uh, that's,
1: du- that, look at that panel though. On the bottom left of page fifteen, I guess it is, um, where they're in the elevator going down, mm-hmm. and I find that to be such an odd panel because it's it's very black and white. And you know, of course, there's no not any detail because it's so far away. This just doesn't seem like a burn panel to me. You know? Yeah. It it was kind of I I don't know why he did it that way. I don't know if it was just he was trying to do something, and it didn't work. But it was really 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 weird because like you can tell that the the woman is supposed to be Doctor Winters, and that's supposed to be Gary Seven. On the right there, is that supposed to be Roberta Lincoln or is that supposed to be one of the Doobie Brothers?
2: <laughs> I think it's blonde. I think it's supposed to be Roberta, but she does look like she's got a receding hairline, doesn't she? Yeah,
1: it, <laughs> it's really, really weird. Anyway, go ahead.
2: <laughs> oh, no, they, 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 they go down a couple levels. They put on their Dr. No Radiation suits, uh, go down and meet the other two scientists, and again, they're immediately suspicious of uh, Dr. Wang. Now here the artwork is actually pretty good. The, I think his faces, Gary Seven's face, which is a little further down when he's when he's in the mask, is nice. the The other two scientists are realized pretty good. The uh, when they're looking down at the the actual bomb itself, that tech looks great. So overall, this is a pretty nice page.
1: I think that the the coloring on this really helped um, because you've got a lot of good stark contrasts in yeah. there. It g- gave this page an almost painted quality to it. Um, I mean. <clears throat> You even look on the little glass windows on their outfits, it's showing some reflectiveness.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's some nice, Whoever colored this it was Tom. <clears throat> Tom Smith.
1: Tom Smith, wasn't it? Was that Tom Smith? Oh, I'm looking again. Yep, Tom Smith.
2: Yeah, uh, did a nice job of uh, of realizing, like he said, the uh, the glass that goes over their cover that goes over their faces.
1: Right, right, and they they had some really interest, just a lot of interesting work all throughout this whole page. Um, that I liked and I liked a lot. And the the next page also, um, as ISIS is following and watching Dr. Wang,
2: I like that. I like the way that story flows. The what the you know the choices he's made of her following him, you know. And I, I like the way he will have show her transformation just by it's subtle. It's like suddenly, oh, now now she's got a, You know, she's obviously taking human form and she's looking at trying to find out what apartment he's on and then she's just you know watching him cook dinner and then watching him looks like he's watching F Troop but this never this never pays off we see her follow him we don't see that she's discovered anything about him and we don't see any conversation necessarily between her and Gary or never comes back and there, this is again a plot point that doesn't really go anywhere other than that well we're suspicious of him so while you you got to go follow the doctor i'm going to go wine and dine Dr. Mm-hmm. Winners and I thought among, that other was, <clears throat> among other things. Among other things. And, and another, I, thought like, that was a little, I thought that was a little out of character. That he doesn't strike me as... I mean, he's basically known this woman for a day. And he seems to be smitten with her. And he doesn't seem like he's following her because he's suspicious. He seems to generally want to spend time with.
1: Her. Yeah.
2: And it feels a little... I thought this felt a little forced. It feels like a Kirk moment. Yeah. Because this is something that, during the original series, Kirk would do. As he falls, you know... Kirko has fell for the girl within, of course. Forty five minutes, he had to fall for him pretty quick, right? And it just seems, it just seemed he seemed more kind of cool and collected, and not and unemotional and, and kind of detached. And here he's obviously warming up to her, and they're having dinner and enjoying their conversation and enjoying the wine. And
1: but it makes sense. I mean, again, if this was going to be a sixties TV show. That's the kind of man you have to have you have to have the man that can sit there now number one he he disregards Roberta as any kind of romantic you know thing because she's so young
2: yeah but obviously she seems at least in that in the original series she seems jealous of Isis when she mm-hmm. sees Isis turn into a woman right so you think that there might be a a relationship there and it may be more of a, a you know big brother or a father figure. Uh, then I don't know what, who knows what Roddenberry had in mind when, if the series were taken off. but
1: Right, yeah. Now this next page with the computer giving off all the readings, this was a slog, a serious slog. And, you know, as a mystery when you're sitting there trying to figure out who's the bad guy. You know, you have to sit there and go through that. But I'll tell you, this page really kicked me out of the book and not because it was just a slog to read through. But because the very first thing that they talked about on um, Professor Carlisle, Bertrand Carlisle, is that he graduated at Oxford in 1918 with doctorates in particle physics, quantum mechanics, thermonuclear integration.
2: Now, I think we had quantum mechanics back then.
1: That's a, a, a really good point, and that's what I went back and was looking at. You know, I was looking all over trying to find out what they did in physics at all the physics program did exist but it was actually part of the electrical research that was going on at harvard at the time so they were sharing lab space with the electrical research guys which basically means they weren't getting a whole lot done and and this kept on until 1919 when they took a new head of the department that took them out on their own so if this if this guy graduated from there with that, he didn't really get much of an education. He couldn't have been like the best in the tops in his field.
2: Well, could have been the tops in his field if there wasn't that much being done in the field. Right,
1: <laughs> and then of course you got the next guy here. Looks like Kurt Russell. Uh, at least that's what I saw there when I saw that picture the first time. Uh, a young Kurt Russell.
2: Oh, uh, Dayton, Dayton. Dayton. Yeah, Chris, Christopher.
1: Christopher Dayton. Yeah. Now all these guys got these really good accolades from all these different schools and I was just like, okay, this one, the first one wasn't right. I wasn't going to sit there and follow up on the rest of them to see, you know, if they were uh, accurate or not. Um, But I took interest in Truman's to sit there and see if I could see something unusual about him because they had so much going on with him earlier. And of course they had the Hitler mustache. The rest of them was just like smokescreen. And I just – I again, I thought this page was – just didn't think that they needed to put all this in this
2: page. It was too much. I, I agree. In fact, I, I'll admit I skipped some of this because I started reading them. and like, this is not going to add anything to the story. I did. As you did, I read um, Truman's. But when I was rereading this and taking my notes, I kept coming back to this. As you say, it, it does seem out of place. And I was – kept asking myself what was Byrne trying to do by including this i thought are these and i did a little research by some of these names i couldn't find anything are these based on actual scientists and he's giving us this information is he trying to give us a little
1: a nod to project man the manhattan project
2: possibly maybe they're based on actual scientists or is he trying to give us an idea of of what life was like in the 60s these are the type of scientists that were that were working on these type of projects or i didn't understand why he put it in there it seems a little self indulgent or maybe i didn't occur to me maybe he is he is presenting us these are like our suspects and, yeah, then, and that's you're, exactly what it was yeah. it was and it i was, never this. i never took it that way because it seems so out of place that right. but i think you're absolutely right this is like a lineup these are our suspects you read their dossiers you kind of you know you choose or you decide who do you think the um but in his own writing, he's only given us really one person that he's pointed the finger at, and that's uh, Truman. The rest right. are the rest have hardly any dialogue at all, other than Wang, and only because the reason why they're suspect of him is because he's a, de- a defector from China. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. I just and, thought,
1: yeah, and then of course you know they, they give Doctor Winner's profile on the next page. And it did, it did give you some suspicious things on her because she had no living relatives, no known political affiliations. And, yeah, but so, I mean, the thing is they separated this one from the other ones. I really think that all this was here to just sit there and point you at Truman, you know?
2: Yeah. And but the next page, though. This is, is right.
1: He- is that Jonah Hex?
2: Oh, it is Jonah Hex, yeah.
1: It sure does look like Jonah Hex. Or the, I mean, Mar- or the Marlboro
2: Man. Yeah, the
1: Marlboro Man at first. I was sitting there going,
2: but that's too tall to be Wolverine. But that profile picture where he's lighting his cigarette and he looks all like Chuck Connors. from The Rifleman.
1: Oh, it's, see, I mean, the thing is, I watched The Rifleman just for years as a kid. Every Saturday, I watched The Rifleman. But I didn't think of that at all. I thought immediately of Jonah Hex. And what it reminds me of is... Jonah Hex as he was represented in Crisis on the Infinite Earths by George Perez. Hmm. But uh, they, you know, that's that. That's what I saw there, and that that immediately distracted me on this page. So I was sitting there reading the profile of Doctor Winter, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Hey, Jonah Hex, what the heck?"
2: <laughs> well, this is where it gets to me. It got very confusing because okay, now okay, Truman is the saboteur, or he's up to some kind of shenanigans. But he doesn't yeah. know who his other counterpart is. You know, he's he's supposed to hide this piece that he's got from this guy somewhere, and the main saboteur will take care of it. Well, so he we, he doesn't know who that is. They're, they're trying to it's like a cells. They're not you know they don't need to know who each, each one of them is, right? But is he knowing what we know that now? that it's Doctor Winters is the um, the Soviet spy. Is their plan to? It seems like their plan is to caused a bomb to malfunction and, and you know I don't know obviously Aradi- irradiate half the country right? and he, and he says everybody within a thousand was it everybody within a thousand miles would be dead or dying well is he planning on traveling at least a thousand miles within the 12 hours it is between the morning and when they have the because he's going to have to get out of there but he no he, he shows up at the bomb site he's going to martyr himself I, I guess I didn't. That's what I didn't understand because when when they do the uh, on the next page when they're they're looking for for uh, for Truman and uh, just Truman and Truman they have then. that to me that that was a very uh, Bruce Banner moment when he's looking out to the bomb yeah, side I, with the binoculars. That was a very Bruce Banner and, Rick Jones.
1: And again, we have another moment with Roberta just watching the blinking lights. Doctor Jarrow, easy job. <laughs> oh come on!
2: And they're I like, mean, okay, she's
1: supposed to be bright. And he didn't write her as such. He wrote her as just flaky and erratic.
2: Well, I think they try to I think from the implication I got from this show that the original series was that she was maybe very intuitive. You know, she obviously wouldn't know she could be have a high IQ but wouldn't know anything about physics because she hasn't studied it, but she's probably a quick learner.
1: Right. But you don't bring someone that could be a liability on an infiltration, you know.
2: Yeah, and he's not even there with her. Right. She's there, and the rest of them are just like, okay, watch yeah. the lights. You know, and, and Dr. Winters goes and she's checking everything over. And this is when Truman approaches her. And at this, I thought, okay, I don't understand what he says. This has gone on far enough. It's gone on far too long. I don't, does he think she is, does he think she's a saboteur, but he's the saboteur, or he is a saboteur?
1: So what's, he is? He is a saboteur, but I, I think that, well, Let's, let's, I mean, he was going to do something different than what she was going to do.
2: I, I guess because he delivered the – he obviously hid this part because she finds it later for her. Yep. She's obviously the number one that, was at the, that Chuck Connors told her to – told him that, oh, well, number one will find it and install it. So his part is done. He should be gone. So does he think that, oh, she shouldn't be there and she's going to file things up? If she's there, then – the number one or show up and can't install this thing. I, to me, it just didn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Cause there's definitely some confusion in this.
2: And he's just, I mean, he's almost there as a plot device that he's there. So Gary seven can knock him out, you know, give her the gun. And then she turns on him and knocks him out with it and takes the part. And it's going to go and install it.
1: Okay. So yeah, he climbs down and, finds her down there and he's not wearing a protection suit but this is the other thing you know in the other panels that we saw earlier we had that nice reflectivity and detail and everything and it's all missing here it's
2: gone yeah it's not uh yeah and it the shading on the on the on the um
1: I, I kind of think that he had other people working with him on this just uh, some didn't seem right here and in the scene where she gets shot, do, having a little bang and the, th- the little puff of smoke or blood or whatever that is on the top left panel, didn't that kind of ruin the effect of those next three panels where you see the blood coming down her forehead?
2: It does. Now that you say that, it does. It does. Um...
1: Because there's supposed to be some drama of she's going to shoot him. It's almost like the Indiana Jones Raiders Lost Ark scene in the, in, in the bar in Nepal when the guy comes up to Indiana with the gun and Indiana hears the gunshot, he's looking at himself like, where did I get shot to realize that guy's the one that's actually been shot. And because of that little bang and that puff or whatever that is, it ruins the beauty of that next shot where you see her eyes and then the blood coming down. And then the, the next thing is they show her falling way down, but there was nothing that showed you before this that she was standing next to a drop off. A railing. Yeah. You had no clue. Well,
2: I I mean,
1: you look at the previous page and it looks like she's standing next to a wall where she's sitting there trying to install the device.
2: Well, it's, it's like the, uh, the scene in Jurassic Park when the T-Rex attacks and he, if you look at that scene, it looks like he steps over the wall to where the cars are. But then when the car needs to go over that wall, suddenly it's a drop off. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Exactly.
2: I will say that the shot of her body falling is nice. It uh, it uh, has yeah. a, The way he's drawn, it, it has a lot of weight to it. I mean, you really yeah, feel it, that she is tumbling.
1: There's no motion lines or anything, and yet you know what's happening there. Yeah. And that, that is beautiful. It's not. And then, of course, there's Smitty, who killed her, and he's just like, the look on his face is like, I've never fired my gun before. <laughs> Probably not. That is pretty messed up, and G- Gary Seven's face just looks really
2: odd there. It looks pushed in. Yep, looks a little flat.
1: And then, of course, the last page looks like it could have been the last page of the of the previous episode, where he's given the epilogue to the the, the typewriter. Typewriter, yeah. But I like that. I like that. That's how they would wrap up every. You think that they that's how they would wrap up every episode?
2: Probably that, that may be the uh, kind of an X Files type thing where they kind of discuss what you know yeah. what had happened but- and.
1: But this right here is a good example, though, of, you know, what you do or don't do with a TV series. Because one of the things that, that about episodic television back then was that you had your characters and you wanted it so that somebody picked, you know, watched an episode. They didn't have to see the one before or the one after to know what was going on. And unfortunately, that also meant that the characters themselves didn't develop over the
2: course of the series. Right, everything had to be reset to the yeah. beginning, to the starting point, so that you could, like you said, watch him out of sequence. Right and now,
1: and this one had one lapse in judgment with Gary Seven that's sleeping with Doctor Winters and trusting her. And by the end of the episode, he's had that arc where he's recognized his mistake and recognized he has to uh, tighten up his own emotions.
2: Well, I think this—if this, this was—it would have been a cool idea if Byrne had decided to write this, because I don't think he did. If this was written in the in the style of a '60s television show, mm-hmm. I think some of the dialogue's not. And, and, and obviously, he could have. I mean, if he really wanted to restrain himself, he could have even limited it to his artwork to what could possibly be produced. Obviously, you couldn't have had all this gamma base and all this stuff if this was an actual TV show. But I thought it would have been a, a kind of a cool experiment if he had decided to write it as if almost like a four act show and write mm-hmm. it so that it, it was in the same style, at least um, dialogue and the him falling for the girl is is very sixties, you know, like very like I said, it, that's exactly what Kirk would do. Yeah. But for I think for this to happen in I mean, if we read this as this is the first maybe the first um, episode of this series. That he hasn't been—he's only been on Earth three months. He comes from different planet where I don't know if he's—he's he's not around normal humans. At least not what he considers primitive humans. I think it's too early for him to kind of fall for an Earth person because I think he would still—he's human, but I don't think he would still see these people as alien to himself mm-hmm. because he's grown—you know—he's spent his entire life with these other aliens. Right. That. If this would maybe be something that would happen further down the series I mean obviously Byrne can't do that because he's just doing five issues but it seems like something that would happen he would be you know if he, this was a regular series he would be a little cold during like maybe the first season and then he would start warming up and then maybe into the first season beginning a second season he might a, an episode like this would come about where he would fall for someone and then he'd have that uh, you know this is almost like the the Edith Keeler kind of ending, yeah you know.
0: Hmm.
2: But, uh, I do know. What did you think? We kinda oh, talk I, about I, artwork. What'd you think about the story?
1: Well, I, I enjoyed actually, I mean, I still enjoyed the artwork. I mean, yeah, you know, we pointed out a couple things that seemed a little weak. Um, but you know, the overall, I really enjoyed it. It, it did give me a sense of something. I could hear little musical cues, but there were almost all the comedy cues
0: mm-hmm.
1: like they used on Star Trek. And I'm sure cause a lot of the music on, on, on shows like that were, almost interchangeable. Just like if you watch mission impossible back then you heard musical cues on there that you could have heard. Uh, all on the time. All the well. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I felt a little bit of that here and there. Um, I think that, you know, if he'd been able to continue something like this, it would probably, you know, he'd probably give us a lot of really, really cool stuff. I've actually read somewhere that he'd planned on doing a second series of these. But I can't find if he had scrapped that project or, or what.
2: Well, was he going to do it as uh, a drawn book or is more of the photo novel?
1: A drawn – well, I mean, again, that's a good question.
2: He could do – he could easily do it just like he does the femetti books.
1: Yeah. That would be kind of cool. Because <laughs> he could get Terry Gar and different, you know, yeah, hair and makeup and all that. And he could get uh, Robert Lansing because he did a lot of stuff back then as well.
2: Yeah. It would be kind of interesting. I think um, – I. It
1: would be very hard for him to get the permission to use the other stuff outside of what's on that one episode. Though and that maybe
2: that, that's probably what's stopping him from doing it. So that's why he might actually draw it. But that would be uh. I haven't like I said I need to read these other five uh, four issues. I haven't read. This is the first one of these I've read, and I won't say I didn't enjoy it. I just haven't. I didn't enjoy it as much as the other Burn Trek I've read like the Romulan stuff, which is maybe that's because it's dealing with more familiar characters. I mean, we only had one episode to deal with these characters and we're kind of getting to know them again. Uh, Yeah. I kind of like the cold war aspect of it. If he kind of played that up, it would be a little more like, um, seeing me, this series would be like UFO or, um, the invaders that kind of, you know, those sixties alien invasion kind of, uh, shows. So I'm kind of curious to read the rest of these and see how, um, See how I'm going to like it.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, there was with the other episodes, especially the one that, um, with, uh, Captain John Christopher, I felt that that was a little, I mean, I'll I'll use the word wankery fan wankery. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a little too kind of wink wink. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much wink wink. And it's funny because I've been, I've been reading about burn trying to stay from the whole wink wink thing. Um, uh, he, he recognized that he did it a lot in the seventies and he did it some, you know, a lot in the eighties too. But in the nineties, he said he really tried to stay away from the whole wink, wink thing. He didn't yeah. want to kick people out of the story by looking for Easter eggs and all the other stuff. And th- this right here is just one of those things where it, it is wink, wink, winkity, wink, wink, wink.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but well, at the same time, I really, really enjoyed it. So I, well, you know, I if mean, it's. If it's done right, it's it it can be a good story. If it's sometimes it comes across as look how clever I am. You know, see how I was able to weave this story into this story. Aren't I clever? And that'll take you right out of the story. Yeah. But that's the next that's the next issue, right? And where it deals with that? Yeah.
1: going uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure to read that one and see how I the, like that one. Write the next one. Yeah. Um Yeah, chapter two, yesterday, today and tomorrow.
2: Yeah. Oh well, cool. Well, do we want to wrap up, give us some final thoughts? and I know uh, we want to, you want to bring up some we were going to have an upcoming kind of email show, so you had a request well, to the listeners?:
1: Well, okay, so you know the thing is there's been you know some emails, some messages, uh, a lot of messages that were actually on Facebook, uh, a couple of emails that we got from from John Hyatt and I think uh, one other. Unless it's John Hyatt under his other name. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's it, it could wind up being an all John Hyatt show. So uh, to to kind of balance that out, we thought we'd ask you guys um, right now, because uh, today is December 20th. Hopefully we can get this out before Christmas. And if you guys can get us uh, your ideas for a top five list, much like what we did in the last episode, uh, we can do that. We'll, we'll do a little bit more quick and dirty. Than what we did on that last episode because we ran for like what three hours.
2: It was about three hours, yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, but we'll do a little bit more, more quick and dirty course because we're going to be you know reading this and and just kind of going off the the reading of it and and putting it together because we want to get get through the emails and stuff. But it's just there's a lot already going to get together and putting the show together.
2: Yeah, and we just don't want we don't want to you know I don't want to people to think like well they've never read my email you know why should I bother writing in I don't want people to think that we're ignoring them or just you know, not, not bothering to read them. We do, which is, as you said, it's just hard to turn them to work them into the show.
1: But yeah. And, and then of course, a lot of the responses that we get are responses that we see in Facebook yeah. and you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's just like a uh, awesome or wow, this is great, you know, but then there's a lot of, you know, people are putting a lot of thought into what they're saying uh, and some are giving us actual full reviews and I really appreciate that. Uh, we like to know how we're doing, and we like to know what you guys like about what we're doing. And if we're doing something wrong, tell us, please.
2: We've had some suggestions about what to cover, but you know, if you want something covered, we have no problem with taking viewer requests.
0: You know, and we, we can- have
1: we have a new year coming up, and so we're open to new subjects, new ideas, and uh, you know, maybe we'll we'll take a look at some of the things that we haven't had looked at. We haven't looked at next men at all, Mm-mm. and you know, there's some great stories in there. We haven't looked at at his you know his work in in other genres you know and we've not had uh, a a big look at a lot of his late DC work you know Wonder Woman New Gods, uh, D- uh, Etrigan the Demon or the even Demon we talking... I, really,
2: I really want to get into the Demon
1: then of course there's Justice League Classified which I think was his last bit of work there at DC and uh, there you know there's some interesting stuff in there now with the Justice League movie coming out next year. Uh, maybe we can, you know, sit there and bind that in as our, as our, you know, coattails writing episode. That's a good idea. Um, but then, of course, there's the other JLA work that he did with Chris Claremont, uh, as the lead into the Doom Patrol. And the Doom Patrol is also another thing I wouldn't mind. I want to uh, get into that too. So. Get into and, and read that. And then, of course, there is Generations, which, you know, if you, if you read the Top Five show, you know, that's one of my all time favorite books by Byrne. And, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. And maybe we could look at, you know, a couple issues of Generations 3. You know, it's funny because I I uh, pushed Frank Canepa and I think Mike Carlisle into reading those recently. And uh, wouldn't be a bad idea to get, you know, the, the outsider's perspective as well.
2: Yeah, we could do another, uh, like a live show just just – Okay, uh, but this, this year – um, this
1: coming year, there's a lot coming on, and, and we, you know, we hadn't even talked about Burns' Spider-Man, whether it was the work that he did with, was it Howard Mackey? Chapter one. Uh, no, no, though there the was amazing. He did work on Amazing Spider-Man.
2: Oh right, right. Where
1: right. he was, he was the art robot, as he says. And then there's the work that he did on Chapter one. Yeah, but uh, with Spider-Man: Homecoming coming out this year, that opens up an opportunity for us. We also have Guardians of the Galaxy two. Coming out,
2: yep. um, Justice League. We've got uh, the. Have you seen the ad, the trailer for the sequel to Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Yeah,
1: I, I posted it. <laughs> <laughs> but we've also got uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, Logan. Logan
2: looks good. Yeah, Kong Skull Island. That looks good, really good. Alien Covenant. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and there's
1: a Lego Batman movie that looks there's good too. Wonder Woman. Oh, of course, episode eight. Yeah, The Dark Tower.
2: The, I thought the Dark Tower was gonna to be a TV series. It's gonna be a uh, movie it's, film.
1: It's it's a movie.
2: I don't know. I, I have you read any of the uh the no, comic I, adaptions of that?
1: No, I fact of the matter is is that I have not read any Stephen King at all in my uh, entire none, I just you've, read no,
2: you've read no Stephen King? No I the thing is is that uh,
1: you know he's always to me he's horror. I, I've never gone out of my way to read horror specifically and then on top of all that Mike Carlyle looks too much like Stephen King <laughs> for me to take any of the books seriously <laughs> okay uh, but uh, we also have War for the Planet of the Apes which I, that looks amazing
2: yeah I I still haven't seen the first one I own it I haven't watched it I have saw the second one and you I liked seen Rise?
1: it you haven't no, seen Rise I haven't Rise, seen it watch it at your soonest convenience that is an amazing movie uh, what they what they did with with Caesar in that what uh, and James Franco is really good Frida Pinto and John Lithgow that's just that's just a, a really an amazing movie I'm just amazed that they got that movie made and did such a good job of it
2: well it's it's, it's kind of amazing if they've they've continued to make those films because well I know the, the actually I think the first two were pretty well received I know the first one was yeah
1: yeah. They were the second one. The second one. I mean, there's going to be things in these movies. The after the first one, there's going to be things in these movies that piss you off as a human because you just see the 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 humans as as being right now. As you watch, you know the um, dawn. That's right, dawn of the Planet of the Apes. As you watch that one, there is that group of humans that are just and, and several several of the humans that are just like those cardboard cutouts. <clears throat> that you just want to shoot in the head.
2: There are some of those, but I think what what's, what that those films do, at least the second one that I've seen, do well is that there are shades of gray. Because even in Caesar's own group, they're not all the noble ape. and even Caesar exactly. himself is not necessarily all good. You know, they are right. they are they're painted in shades of gray, so that there are uh, there are both good and bad, and they're right. ju- they're just trying to he's trying to do the best he can to and try to keep his people together.
1: And that is what every writer is trying to do with everything that we watch now. You know, you can't have like Lord of the Rings, where you know who the good guys are, yeah. you know who the bad guys are, and and even in in Rogue One, you're you're going to see this, and you you're, you're going to ask some questions. We still got, let's see, Ghost in the Shell. That looks now. interesting. Now, have you watched the original anime?
2: I haven't seen it in years, but I I've, yeah I've seen it and I own it, but I haven't watched it in a while.
1: Yeah, now I, I really enjoyed that, and I've I've enjoyed all the work of um, of Masamune Shirow. Looks like they're trying to be incredibly faithful to the work. It
2: does, yeah. It looks like it's um, I've, visually I've at the,
1: least. I've got the original manga translation um, of that. My my actually my niece uh, has borrowed it, and I would like it back. Um, <laughs> she borrowed that in my first uh, phone book of Akira, Ooh. which I had the English manga of Akira. Oh. And it's six phone books,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she's got the first one. And she's be- she's basically she likes drawing manga, so she
0: borrows Easy those. Oh, that's
1: yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. What else? Uh, I... I don't know. Oh, I'm not. Uh... I'm not done yet. I'm uh... not done because there's
2: Tom <laughs> Cruise's mummy.
1: What Marvel movies do we
2: have this year? Other than did, than I, did you did, did Thor? I... You talk about Thor.
1: Thor Ragnarok, oh, and Guardians of the Galaxy Guardians. 2, and Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay, that's right. I mean, it's it's that's a big year coming. Uh, hopefully, oh, and Wonder Woman, of course, is DC. Yeah. And Justice League. I want a good Superman movie. I want to see a Superman movie that's a Superman being Superman and not having to fight other Superman,
2: you know? I, I don't want him fighting Kryptonians. You may get it. You may not get it.
1: Did you ever watch Immortals? Because I think that was the movie that really got – Attention! on after the the work that he did in the Tutors. Yeah, and in Immortals, he had that same kind of way about him that he had in Batman v Superman, like uh, kind of like he didn't want to be there. Yeah, but I think that that we're hopefully after all you know the Justice League is done, and we can have a regular Superman movie. Maybe it'll be a regular Superman movie where he'll get to they'll get to show the joy of him being Superman. I'm thinking that that DC is maybe learning a couple lessons and. The, this is the other thing I'd read recently just uh, today that Ben Affleck is taking huge steps to make sure that this Batman movie does not suck that's good and I, I mean I don't know what that means you know is he is he you know bringing in other writers because currently his writer is uh, you know worked on Batman V Superman and he worked on Justice League so I don't know if he's just not happy with what that guy's doing with Batman. This is maybe if, the,
2: this is maybe the tone that almost all DC films are are heading you know are, are kind of model after. So,
1: right now, if you if you were to be a producer, and you had your pick of the guys at DC, old and new, who would you bring in to help you put this Batman together?
2: Oh, uh, it's a producer, gosh, I don't, I can't. Um, and we'll leave Frank
1: Miller out of it right now. Yeah, because um, the the, old, the one I think that that most people would sit there and think back to is is probably either um Jeff Loeb who did you know like the long halloween, halloween. And Jeff, stuff Loeb like that. Be, uh, Jeff Loeb
2: could be Jeff Loeb could good cuz he's working on shield right now and um who is it that's been writing Batman the last couple of years uh, Snyder Scott, Scott Snyder yeah okay yeah but he's he's kind of dark and gritty too so well I, I don't think that there's a problem with batman being dark and gritty just as
1: long not as long as it's not dark and gritty for dark and gritty's sake
2: yeah I haven't you know, if, read, read enough, I guess, Batman to think of what who is probably. I mean, taking Miller off the table, who is probably the like the definitive Batman writer. I think,
1: I think that if you got someone like Denny O'Neill involved, and you know, Denny's had that long, long career of writing yeah. some of the the definitive Batman stories, and at the same time, you know, he's you know been an editor. See what all the other guys have done. I mean, you could ask him to bring in Grant. Or, uh, Jim Starlin who wrote some really good Batman stories in the eighties, but, and then I'm sitting there thinking, I would kind of
2: a, like to see Mark Wade's take on it. I'm afraid of Mark Wade. I mean, he's so hit and miss to me. But, yeah. But, but when he hits, he's really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But a, a, again, it's, it's, you know, if, if you could get your choice, you'd have to sit there and look long and hard to sit there and figure out who is it that you want? Who is it that's going to be able to help you in the cinematic universe? to to translate that to screen so he is how you want batman to be now ben did a great job of representing him physically but now we're going to have to get into a cup of a, you know a better idea of batman how he's represented in gotham city there's still people there that don't believe he's real
2: yeah
1: i think yeah. that's cool so well,
2: that's a question I, I, for uh for our our listeners maybe they can uh yeah. Send in some cards and letters to quote uh, Jason Jack and Eddie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know where to email us.
1: Gotta get burned at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.
2: Or send us post something on our Facebook page.
1: Yes. Or you can give us a review on iTunes and I, I would just be so happy if so. I'll bake cookies for you if you uh, if you write
2: us a review on iTunes, a five star review that is. Give us recipes. We've got we've had one recipe. Because in our outro, it asked for recipes. We've had one guy send us a recipe. <laughs> you were going to make those. Funny. I made them, and they, made they were it? actually pretty good. I can't yeah, remember what they were called. They were some kind of cookies or something.
1: Yeah, you didn't say knots, wasn't it? it was some kind of knot.
2: It was a. Uh,
1: I like an English English cookie. something.
2: It was English cookie yep. or something. I can't remember yeah. what it was. It was it was pretty good though.
1: <laughs> All right, yeah. but uh, yeah, please give us a give us a review on iTunes, and uh, you know just let us know one way or the other how we're doing. We you know we basically we want to we want to entertain you. And if you don't tell us how to do it, we're going to keep doing it the way we have been. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with yeah, this. but it
2: may not be necessarily a good thing. Yeah.
1: Anyway, uh, is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Use the uh, Amazon link
2: on the Two True Freaks page if you're buying anything from Amazon. It helps keep the lights on. If you're interested in the story we covered in this issue, this episode, it's in the, the big collected John Byrne Star Trek collection, which are hardbound. And uh, you said it's also available as a trade. Yes. Okay. So there's the trade, two, the two trade, ways to get it. The trade retails for 19.99, but I'm sure you can get it cheaper. Oh, and that hardbound collection you can get for a, I think about 30 bucks, and it's worth every penny. It's a there's nice collection. There's
1: two versions of the hardbound collection, and the one that we've got, or the one that I've got, is the smaller version of the hardbound collection, and that one you can find pretty cheap, even though it's got a cover price of 49.99.
2: I think I got mine for about 30 bucks on Amazon.
1: I, I got it for like twenty five, I think. Yeah. But there's a, a bigger one that sells for about eighty bucks, I think. Yeah. But uh, and and yeah, so hey, buy those there. But use the link. Yeah, use our link in the YouTube page.
2: Uh, you got anything else? I don't have anything else. So uh, you want to take us out for third degree burn? My name is Brian Hughes, and I am Tim Elliott. Thank you. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. And a Merry Christmas to everyone. Oh, absolutely, and a Happy New Year.
0: Jobbing. It's time to face your final destiny. It's Christmas at ground zero. There's panic in the crowd. We can dodge debris while we trim the tree underneath a mushroom cloud. Or jack frost on your windowsill But if someone's climbing down your chimney You better load your gun and shoot to kill Oh, it's Christmas at round zero And if the radiation level's okay I'll go out with you and see all the new mutations on New Year's Day It's Christmas at
2: Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn.